Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill, and this episode, our guest is Andrew Dubs. Andrew is the throws coach at Virginia Tech. Uh, more importantly to today's episode, he is an alum and his alma mater is the University of Connecticut. Today, it was announced that the University of Connecticut is dropping men's cross country and keeping men's indoor and outdoor track and field. So we wanted to have a talk with Andrew about the activity, the proactivity that him and a whole bunch of other alumni did to help secure the indoor and outdoor portion of men's track and field. The goal here is to give maybe you a blueprint. First of all, make sure you're sober, that uh, you are not safe. Let's make sure we're continuing to fight for our sport, because if we don't fight for our sport, who is? We can't rely on other people, right? So one is to make sure you realize you should always be fighting for your great sport and your great program. And two, hopefully we can learn something from Andrew and the rest of the leadership uh, of the UConn alums to help us be proactive and start something right now today to make our program stronger. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Andrew Dubs. Hey, super excited for you to join us today on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Uh, we're actually celebrating good news, and we're hopefully going to be providing just an abundant amounts of value for you out there, for all you track programs, high school and college, to be real frank. We're going to focus on college today, but help me welcome Andrew Dubs, the throws coach at Virginia Tech University. How are you doing, Andrew? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Are you all interviewed out? You know, we had some good news. Uh, it would sprinkle with some bad news. Let's be real frank here. Uh, but you've been doing a lot of interviews on everything that went down today and for the past month or so, I guess, huh? Yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind, that's for sure, overwhelming. Um, but uh, glad to be able to come on under these circumstances and share our UConn story and what we've been able to do uh, to help the program and hopefully uh, other programs out there, you know, they never get into this situation, but unfortunately, if they do, uh, hopefully they can take even one shred of this and, and help themselves. Absolutely. Well, let's do a little bit of background. Let's get to know you a little better as, uh, to help learn why are we even talking to the Virginia Tech coach about UConn? That just seems ridiculous, right? Not the yeah. same conference, nothing here, right? So let's talk about you. You have been a throws coach for quite a while now. Um, you coach, tell us some of the places you've coached at uh, here in the past. Well, after graduating from UConn, I went down to Auburn University under head coach Ralph Spry and, and throws coach Jerry Clayton and um, was in graduate school down there. And um, while, while volunteering at the same time, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching and uh, coach Clayton's the best in the business and um, the opportunity to learn from him and him and I are still extremely close today. Um, we talk all the time and uh, never stop learning from him. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's, he's probably forgot more than I'll ever know, but uh you know, he, he's been tremendous throughout my entire career and is the reason why I'm at where I'm at today. And, and um, from there, I went to the University of North Carolina, um, for my first full-time job uh, under head coach Dennis Craddock. And um, he had given me my first full-time opportunity and always grateful to him for that and um, loved it at North Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, he retired after just one season and um, we all know how that can go in college athletics. Uh, but, um, you know, been blessed and Harless Metters came in and retained me as a, a director of operations. 
Um, but he, Harless knew that I wanted to coach and, and, um, you know, if an opportunity came up, he, he was extremely grateful and, and helping me, uh, try to get an opportunity and Harvard university became available. And to me, you know, to get back only an hour and a half from, from Yukon and, and about four and a half hours from home. And my sister at the time lived in Boston. Um, it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And, um, so went to Harvard, had, uh, had some success there. And after just two years, um, you know, an opportunity to get into the big 10, uh, one of the best conferences in the country and the best throws conference, um, and go work for Joey Woody. Uh, that was, that was an incredible opportunity and, um, just became really fell in love with the program there and coach Woody and Joey Woody became family to me and, um, you know, love my time there. Uh, but then Virginia tech called and, um, almost didn't believe it when I saw Dave Tunnelli's name pop up on my phone, um, when that opportunity, when that position was available. Um, and at first I, you know, I really loved Iowa. I loved my time there and, um, was kind of, I don't know if I really want to leave, but the opportunity was just too good of it. Um, and to get a chance to get back close to home, that meant a lot to me. I'm originally from Philadelphia. Uh, so Blacksburg's about, about six hours or so from there, which to me, that's close. Um, <laughs> you know, in college athletics, you can be working all over the country. So if you're a six hour drive from home, that's, that's home. Mm. Um, and, um, so now I'm here as finishing my third year or two and a half, I guess, if you count COVID-19. We count it three years. We just count it. three years and, uh, going on starting year four. So, um, yeah. You know, I'm always struck by your career about the, type of people that you had as mentors you know you mentioned jerry um uh, coach craddock i mean god rest his soul uh, one of the most amazing people in the whole world even harless you know uh, yeah. it reminded me when harless got the head job at unc uh someone we were talking to earlier in the podcast series uh talked about you know getting to know people outside of your event area because mm -hmm. A throws coach isn't going to hire a throws coach here. He has one. It's like, oh yeah, Harley, he's throws coach, and 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 really good too, by the way. It's like, holy yeah, I gotta do so. Um, we're gonna have to have you come back on the podcast one day in the future and really unpack that because uh, you know you just gave us a great uh, three minute snippet, but man, there are some just fantastic. Again, Joey Wood. I mean, yeah, everybody you mentioned, Dave Chanel, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met. Yeah, I've, I've been extremely blessed in that circumstance to you know have had some tremendous head coaches that I've worked for and. Um, it's, it's really just guided me throughout my entire career. And it was kind of funny. And I've said this to Harless since that when uh, he was getting hired, there were four total candidates and only one was a throws coach. So in my mind at the time, I was like, anybody but him, anybody but him. Um, because like you had said, you know, you're not going to be a throws coach as a head coach and hire a throws coach. So, um, but he, he got it. And my initial thought was, oh man, um, but then, boy, did that turn into a blessing uh, that, that I didn't see coming and just mm. extremely grateful for what he did for my career. And you already, you know, spoiler alerted us. So the real news of this is, so why is a guy who has worked at such great places and is now doing a fantastic job at Virginia Tech, why in the world is he fighting for the University of Connecticut? Well, that was your alma mater. You actually threw, you were a Husky. I, I had no idea you were from Philadelphia, by the way. That's, uh, I always learned something new. I love that part. Um, and so today uh, it was announced that the University of Connecticut is dropping four sports. They're dropping women's rowing, men's tennis, men's swimming and diving, 
And unfortunately, the one we're going to talk specifically about here is also men's cross country. Now, earlier I stated we're actually talking, to, we're celebrating today, and you would think, well, why? Why in the world is Gill Athletics, why in the world is a UConn alum celebrating the dropping of men's cross country? Uh, it's because there were, at least from the outside, and Andrew, you're going to help us unpack this a little bit, there were rumors that men's indoor and outdoor track were also considered for the dropping of, uh, of, of sports today. This, this press release that I'm looking at here from the New Haven Register could be radically different right now. So why don't you take us back, uh, tell us when and how did it start? Was it a rumor? Did someone from UConn call you? How, how did it come about that men's track and field indoor and outdoor might be on the chopping block? So um, around the mid, mid end of May, um, there was an article in the Hartford Current um, just discussing the landscape of UConn athletics and um, some, some suggestions and possibilities of things that could be done over the coming weeks um, to help. And then maybe a week or so after that, there was an article written in Sports Illustrated, uh, read that and started to really grasp the reality of what's going on at UConn. I mean, living down now in Virginia, you're not there every day. Um, but one of my best friends and uh, former roommate at college is now an assistant coach up there, Musicano. Um, and him and I talk all the time regularly anyway. So I call him one morning and I said, hey, did you see those articles? And he goes, should I be worried? And I was like, well, so we just started talking. And, um, you know, May 30th rolled around. It was a Saturday. I'll never forget it. And uh, Moose and I were talking. And this was probably a few days after the Sports Illustrated article had come out. And, I finally just said, Moose, you know what? We have to do something. And um, we just started texting men and women that we were on the team with. And uh, within an hour, we got 51 people on a Zoom call. And uh, yeah, thank God for Zoom. Wow. And yeah. uh, so, so we get on a call and just kind of told everybody, hey, here's the landscape. And at the time, we didn't know a whole lot. We, I just was kind of piecing things together in my own mind and um, knowing what happens in college athletics sometimes when things like this come up and uh, just said, hey, you know, uh, we need money and we need it fast. And by the end of that call, we had about $27,000 already. And, so. and, and pause right there because let's set the stage a little bit. And you probably know it better because of the research you've done, obviously, through this. You know, UConn Athletics was already running into a fairly right. large deficit. Uh, of course, football gets the blame, and, and maybe so, by the way. I'm not here to point uh, fingers, uh, but, you know, we do see balance sheets, and we know what was happening. Uh, sure. You know, even, I remember some of those articles, because there was even, an, an, there was either an article or a discussion board about the bonus structure that the football coaches have, which, mm. uh, if you know anything about it, on one hand, it looks pretty laughable, to be real frank, the different bonuses they have. However, I do like when people try new things, so I like, I don't blame the AD for trying just radically new things. It doesn't seem like it was the greatest thing in the world, but okay. Uh, so they're already running a deficit. However, now we have this great quarantine coronavirus mm -hmm. deficit on top, right? Basketball, which, hey, I don't know if you know UConn. Basketball is sort of important. Pretty there. good. Pretty yeah, good. Men and women's kind of vital for, for yeah. UConn athletics, right? Yeah. Uh, so we miss out, obviously, on the basketball tourney. Uh, the rest of school gets, or rest of athletics gets canceled, and there's all this uncertainty of enrollments and, and things like that. Um, so you said you got 50 plus people. Were, were these all alumni or? Yeah, they were, they were, every one of them was 
just teammates that, you know, were on the team together with Moose and I, and, um, you know, both men and women. And um, the, I don't, many people may or may not know for a long time, the UConn track and field program had split gender programs. So there was mm -hmm. a men's coaching staff and the men's team and separate women's coaching staff and the women's team. Um, and then last summer, JJ Clark, the head women's coach, uh, took the job at Stanford. And at the time, the administration decided to combine the programs. And um, so Greg Roy, who had been the head men's coach for uh, at the time, mm -hmm. 30, 34 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, they, they put him in charge and made him director. And uh, so this this past year was the first year um, of combined programs at UConn. But even though they've only been combined for a year, the relationships amongst the athletes uh, has always been there as if it's one family, one track and field program. So um, we've all been close for over the years. And so it was remarkable to see the response, but not surprising uh, to get so many people on a call so quickly. Uh, you know, there's been some fantastic coaches that have come through UConn and athletes such as yourself, which I had no clue. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, but definitely Greg Roy is the, uh, you know, where's his statue? I mean, he is yeah. UConn track. I don't care what gender he coached. <laughs> yeah, Dude, you think UConn track, you, you have to think Greg Roy. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. He's done an amazing Yeah, I think job. in his tenure, um, he's won 15 conference championships. Um, you know, whether it was the Big wow. East or the American in the last several years. And now they're going back to the Big East on July 1. So, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, he's been pretty successful. Is he, does he happen to be an alum of UConn as well or no? No, no, he's okay. not an alum, but he, he was hired in 1985 and was an assistant for a handful of years, I think five or six years and became head coach around 1990, if I believe so. 1985, I was nine years old when he started I was, I was not even born yet, so... Uh, <laughs> We'll go I there. We'll I almost that. asked you and then I just let it go. <laughs> no, I was not. I was born in 1986. So he got hired before I was alive. So and now that we're here. It is, you know, shout out yeah. to Coach Roy because, you know, the, the tenure of coaches, it's a fun topic to talk about that's shortening and everything. And maybe it right. is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, but definitely when coaches are at an institution for 10, 20, 30 years, it's something special, man. I, I uh, you've got to survive a lot of different athletic directors, a lot of different, you got to survive things like this. I mean, this is just right. Shout out to him. So uh, now I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit because I'm gonna test your memory and oh we're gonna boy. give you, oh, no, no, it's okay. We're, all, we're gonna give you all forgiveness for when you forget people. But I love to give shout outs to people who mobilized and started working hard for the UConn program. You mentioned 51 initial people. Who were some of the people that you can talk to? So we just, you know, just, just to honor them that really stepped up to the plate and helped out, whether it was financial, uh, letter writing campaign, change.org, whatever, who are some people? And I said, it's okay if you forget some people. We, it's, it's a whole team effort here. Well, I mean, you just hit the nail on the set head. It's, a, it's absolutely a team effort. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way this was a one-man band. This was a 30-person a circus. Uh, and I think that's the per perfect way to say it. It was a circus because we didn't quite know what we were doing uh, mm. for, I believe four uh, people that were heavily involved are work in fundraising as a profession. Uh, so that was a tremendous help. Oh, wow. yeah. um, but outside of that, we, I had never raised any money. I had never done a campaign like this before. This is brand new territory to me. So it was just get up and go and learn along the way. Um, and boy, did we learn quickly. I, I learned more in the past month about stuff I never thought I'd have to worry about. Um, and it was a tremendous experience. There were 
a few days in, by the time things got up and running and was settled, there, we kind of started a side group chat. Um, and there's about 30 people in that group chat. Um, and every single one of them put in countless hours, um, you know, whether it was helping build a website, whether it was helping with a database or collecting email addresses from old alums or making phone calls or um, whatever it was, there were, it was, it was really remarkable to see people rally. And in that group alone, I mean, there were people, somebody that graduated two years ago, several people from when I graduated, somebody from the eighties, several people from the nineties, um, you know, some of which I had known in name, but never had met before. And now over a month goes by and it almost feels like I've known them my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really been something that I just could have never fathomed. Um, and it, the, the response has just been remarkable. And, and even outside of those 30 people, hundreds of people, by the end, we had 240 pledges and counting. There's still some coming in today. Um, and even hundreds more that just said, hey, I, I might not be able to help financially right now, but what can I do to help? And mm -hmm. whether that was, you know, pick up a phone and spread the word or, um, you know, help with the databases of what we were collecting or, you know, just whatever it could be uh, was just, it was really overwhelming to be in a, in a positive way. Uh, I love, you know, the amount of people you're talking about here. How many would you guess were, are either current college or track coaches? You were cutting out. Can you say that one more time? Out of the, say, 200 plus people that are coming together for this, how many do you, do you would you guess are Ooh. high school or college track coaches? I Off assume the top not. of my head, I don't know. the. It's over 10. I, I, there, yeah, there's not, quite a quite a bit of UConn alums that were involved with, you know, we're on the track and field team that are now coaching at the either collegiate or high school level. Uh, it's, it's pretty unique. So let's say there's 10 and that is unique. I love that. It's actually higher than I would have guessed to be real frank, but that's still less than 5%. What I'm driving at here is, you know, as we talk with coaches and the importance of the positive impacts that you make, it's not always about track and field. <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is, first of all, I'd love to know the PRs, and successes that each of these 200 people had, because I'm imagining some were awesome and Big East champs and all the kinds of school record holders and others were just on the team. You know, it's mm -hmm. a whole variance that we have. But more importantly, these 200 plus people all went on to do something positive in society, not, not just coaching track and field. You, you mentioned uh, three or four of them were professional fundraisers. I'm sure there might've been some lawyers and doctors in there and yeah. teachers and moms mm -hmm. and dads. I mean, that's such a, when you think about that scope, what you do as a person who chose the profession of coaching track and field, your impact is, it's way more than just around that circle or uh, well, in, in that circle. I was thinking the track, but the circle to keep it throws yeah. friendly here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask, but you kind of touched on a little bit is when you heard and it started becoming real that, hey, we, we may be in trouble here for a new contract and field. I was going to ask you what your reaction was, but you described it. You, you mobilized. You and Moose were like, hey, man, we need to do something. Right. Uh, so what were some of the actions? I know you talked about the Zoom calls. What were some of the research? What were some of the things that you were working to unpack to help convince the university that it would be an extremely wrong decision to drop track and field. Uh, I mean, like you said, number one thing was we mobilized and, and it was uh, maybe 20 minutes or so before that phone call, I'd made an email account on Gmail, just called it UConnTFXC at gmail.com. 
and just told people, hey, if you can pledge, great. If you have ideas, great. If you have something that you want to help with, great, send it in. And uh, as they started coming in, um, I was just putting them on an Excel database and, uh, you know, name, contact information and how much for how many years. And about four or five days in, it got to a point where it had escalated so quickly that it was getting a little out of hand in a good way. And, you know, the Yukon Foundation stepped in and they were tremendous in helping us um, kind of take that over. And uh, then we were just able to start calling more people and pushing. And um, we had countless phone calls and Zoom calls and text messages uh, with ideas and the, ne the next steps we wanted to take. And um, it really became a full-time job for, you know, a few weeks there. But it was, it was fun. There was a lot of adrenaline pumping. You, you, you had the, the adrenaline pumping. It was fun to reconnect. And then you had the nerves of not really knowing what we were doing. And then you had the question marks of, is this going to really even mean anything? So there was just so many emotions in, going on at one time for such a long period of time that um, I, I might even be forgetting some of the things that we, had, we did. But, you know, one of the things that we did is we just told people to, hey, you know, if you can and you're, you want to, send write a letter to the athletic director write a letter to the board of trustees and just tell your story track is such a unique and individual sport but also there's so much team camaraderie as well i said at one point uh to some of our alumni that when i was in school we won three team championships in the big east only one was because we were the best team uh the other two were simply because we showed up to the meet and we were just screaming and cheering and going obnoxious for our teammates. And I think it helped push people to PRs or performances they might not have thought possible. Um, and that's, that's what track and field is. There's that huge team aspect, but it's so individual and it's so diverse and it's so different um, that it just gave us, it just gives track a, a unique look. And, and um, so we wanted people to share their stories and share their backgrounds and what UConn track and field meant, meant to them and what it's done for their life. And uh, I mean, there were hundreds of emails and letters that were written. Um, you know, there were two board of trustees meetings during the time that we were doing this and people had an opportunity to call in and share their stories live to the board of trustees. Um, so we, we had done that. Um, so it was just, it was really, as I sit, I, I still think I haven't fully grasped what we've accomplished. Uh, hopefully I will in the, in the next week or two, but um, it really is just, it's left me speechless almost. Talk about, you said, mentioned that a couple of guys, representatives were able to call into the board of trustees. What official meetings or, you know, whether it was Zoom or phone calls, whatever did you have with athletic director or board of trustees president? Did any of that occur? Uh, all of those were done uh, with the coaching staff in place. Um, and, you know, we would have questions and Coach Roy would either have an answer or he would go and try to get the answer through the administration. Um, when this first started, I I'd kind of said to him, you know, hey, here's after that first phone call, I, I'd called him on Saturday night and said, well, here's twenty seven thousand dollars, coach. I don't know if it'll help. Um, and his wife was there and he told her and she started crying just because the alumni were, you know, stepping up like that in a time of need. And he was taken back that we would even think to do it. And, um, you know, so him and I just sort of started being in communication. I've probably talked to him two to three times a day, every day <laughs> in the last month. He's number one on my speed dial right now. And, uh, 
you know, he, he, he had hurt, you know, he had a meeting with the athletic director and he was told, you know, everything's on the table, you know, anything is an option. Um, and that's all we needed to hear as alumni to know, Hey, anything could happen. So let's give them a reason to not have us be one of those things that could happen. Um, and we just took it in rad and, um, we haven't been told yet to stop, so we're not going to stop. Yeah, that brings up a good point, and, and maybe you addressed it a little bit there. What role did the current staff have in this? And oh. what I mean by role is, where did, I'm going to call it the alumni of track and field, where did they sit? Because it sounds like you weren't necessarily communicating with the board of trustees or athletic director. It was coming through Greg mm -hmm. as the director. Was it you were really supporting the coaching staff who was fighting or what? I think it was, it was a little bit of everything. Um, you know, obviously they had never been in this position either, the coaching staff. This was new to them. This was new to the alumni. Um, nobody that I can recall that is a coach uh, in our, of our alumni has been in this position with jobs that they may have had. So it was new to every single person involved, um, all several hundred of them. And um, so it was, we were, it was literally a learning experience by the hour. Um, you know, I'd, I would have conversations with Coach Roy in the morning and then he at maybe 8 or 9 a.m. and he'd be calling me at 1130 with a change uh, to whatever it was that we talked about. Um, so it was just go, go, go until we're told not to go and until we're told, hey, we messed up and we haven't been told any of that yet. So we just are we're still going. And um, it was it was. There was a point, I believe it was. Um, so we raised the money from May 30th until June 8th, I believe that was a Monday, uh, 10 days, Sunday to Monday, Saturday May, to Monday, May 30th to June 8th. Yeah. That's, that's a week essentially. Yeah. 10 days. Exactly. Oh, okay. So we, we raised, we, we brought in 240 pledges and $1.6 million over the course of 10 days. Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, there must be a bad connection. <laughs> in 10 days, there was so much fervor and love for the Yukon track program. Mm -hmm. 10 days, 200 pledges. That's important too. Yeah. 240, a, a 240, a million and a half plus mm -hmm. pledges. Hey man, yeah. if you think there's not money for track and field, and I mean that for scholarshiping and right. endowments and it's such, that is the story of, that's amazing. Holy it really cow. was. And I, I, I had called at one point, uh, I believe Wednesday after we had started, we, we had our first uh, big alumni Zoom call where Coach Roy was like, all right, I'm just going to host a Zoom call every day so we can educate all our alumni. So this first one that we had, um, there were over about 100 people or so on the call. And, and um, you know, everyone was just all excited. And one guy had said, I'm going to give $10,000 a year. And another person said, I already gave this much. I'm going to double it. And in a matter of like five minutes at one point on the call, we had like $50,000. Um, so it really took a life of its own and we just held on for the ride. And at one point I said to myself, you know, cause people started asking me questions as if, Hey, what should we do next? Or, and I, yeah, I'm in college athletics, but I've never done anything like this. So I was like, well, I don't want to give a wrong answer. So I, I had reached out to my sport, uh, senior administrator here at Virginia tech, Chris Helms, and he was remarkable. And we had a conversation and I said, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're trying to do as alumni do you think we're going about it the right way? Do you have any advice? And I told him the, the amount of money and the number of pledges that we had. And at this point we were around, um, we had just broken 200 pledges and uh, we were about 1.2 million or so. 
and uh, he stopped me and he goes, how much and how many pledges? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and this was, I think this was like uh, seven days in or so, six or seven days in. And um, yeah, so he, he was really instrumental in, in some advice that he had given on, on things that we should do. And um, now, so I, it, I'm really proud of how we went about doing it. Is Chris a UConn alum? No, he, he is our senior sport administrator here at Virginia Tech. Um, right, but he's not a UConn alum. No, but he's just somebody that I, I you know, we have a good relationship and I yeah. really trust him. And I felt that I could reach out to him and he could give me some advice on, you know, he knows the inner workings of administration. Absolutely. So. Shout out to him. You talk about the definition of selfless. Uh, you know, let's not be, let's not sugarcoat things here. Uh, Virginia Tech and UConn and every, every college right now is going through something. Every right. college. I mean, yeah. the, you know, the deficit that is being run up because of, uh, of coronavirus and quarantine. And by the way, and we still have so many big question marks right ahead of us. The next July and August and September are going to be critical to what uh, college athletics and college in general looks like. So Chris has got his own stuff to be working on right now, and I know he is. <laughs> uh, but for him to be so selfless and to sit down and think about things that would help UConn and you, uh, that just... I tell you what, that's where, you know, I just get so giddy of celebrating and lifting up and giving kudos to track people and specifically track coaches. But man, guys like Chris Helms, man, holy cow. Thank goodness for him. That's awesome. Tell him he don't know who we are, but man, tell him we love him, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that. I will Chris let Helms. him know. He will never listen. To, you know, he's not a track guy, so he's never going to listen to the Connections podcast. I'll, so you got, I'll, you send, got to, I'll send it to him. There I'll you go. There you go. There's at least one listener going to happen right there. Chris Helms. We'll yeah, listen. we got right, one. Right. That's good. We have that's one. Good. So, <laughs> the um the, the vote the board of trustees meeting was yesterday right uh yes. the 24th correct and the vote was yesterday the 24th right on the either yesterday morning or even the night before on the 23rd did you have any idea what was going to happen and what was your confidence level that positive was going to happen you know keeping track and field i was pretty positive myself uh, I tried to stay pretty level-headed uh, I didn't want to psych up maybe other alumni that maybe are not necessarily involved in college athletics and that were kind of asking for advice I didn't want to give up too many hopes to too many people and so I tried to stay pretty level-headed but internally I was pretty confident I I had felt that what we had done the way we had gone about it um, the steps that we had taken to do that in such a short period of time uh, part of our sales pitch at one point, we can get into that in a minute, but a part of our sales pitch to the administration was, hey, this is what we've done in 10 days. You know, what can we do in two, three or four years? Um, so I felt pretty good. I mean, I don't, there's, there's literally nothing more or else we could have done in that period of time. Um, so I felt good about it. Um, I still know the realities of college athletics and how they operate and knew that there was a, a chance that this might not have mattered. Um, not necessarily because people don't care, but just because at the end of the day, it does come down to having to balance things and, you know, participation numbers, budgets. Um, so I, I'm, I was well aware of that. So I tried to stay calm. Um, the night before I, I talked to coach Roy on, um, on Tuesday night, maybe around six o'clock or so. And I said, uh, well, if you don't receive a phone call, the meeting was at eight 30 on Wednesday. Uh, morning. So I said, if, if you don't receive a phone call between now and 830, that's probably a good sign. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went to bed and I called him at about 745 a.m. 
the next morning and I said, so any phone calls? And he goes, actually, yeah. So I was like, oh no. Um, and that's when we, we had found out about cross country and you know, what they were going to do. And there were still some questions in regards to uh, the logistics behind exactly why cross country was cut. And those things are still being sorted out uh, as we speak today. And, um, but there was some hope left uh, that there's a, there's a possibility of cross country someday being reinstated. So uh, between that and knowing that the women's program entirety is, is good and the men's track and field program is good, uh, we were very pleased with, with the outcome of the meeting and the vote. Yeah, you said something there about, you know, you, you realize, you know, you've been in college athletics now for, you know, a long time um, that, you know, decisions have to be made. And, you know, I was at Ball State University when we dropped the men's track program. Mm. Uh, and it's actually, it's what's interesting. Our athletic director is now, uh, Ball State is now the athletic director at UNC. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Kind of funny, yeah. Bubba Cunningham. Bubba Cunningham, yeah. And I remember talking to him. I was on the women's side, but I still remember, you know, we kind of had this connection because we both had the last name Cunningham. Uh, you know, his, his name was Bubba Cunningham. And I always said, hey, man, I'm, I'm the one from Alabama. Shouldn't I be Bubba Cunningham? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing here? And, yeah. uh, and I remember talking to him and, you know, it was genuine. His... I don't know how to express his emotion, but it was not just a purely a black and white on paper decision. Like, absolutely I could, not. I could yeah. tell that he understood whatever decision he made, whether it was cutting men's track in that decision, cutting football, whatever he would have made, it would affect people and specifically right. 18 to 22 year olds as athletes, but future yeah. potential athletes, the staff that's on there, the alumni in the past, et cetera. Uh, you know, all these athletic directors and board of trustees and presidents, you know, I, I just, maybe I'm the Pollyannish too optimistic one. I believe in my heart of hearts that it's not this evil, I hate track. I'm cutting men's cross country because right. it's just stupid or what, da, 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 all this crap. You know, I honestly think they are put in terrible situations, maybe by their own and their own staff's bad decisions. Let's be open and honest with everything here. Um, but I, I don't think they do it out of personal. I think they do it out of, they're making the best decisions that they can, that they feel they can at the moment. We are passionate because we're track and field, right? I mean, right. <laughs> let's remember, so the outcome of this is we find out that Coach Roy did get a phone call because they did drop men's cross country. Um, right. and, and that means like, I know they're doing it for this season, but so no more yeah. men's cross country, the this, distance runners still live on in track and field, Correct. there won't be a men's track and field or men's cross country season after this fall. Um, but let's not also forget men's swimming and diving that had, that had people that had kids that were at UConn, mm -hmm. their opportunity is gone after next year. Uh, men's tennis, uh, which I believe I read in this New Haven Register article uh, was not a scholarship sport already. However, they still had people on their team. And then the one that was kind of most interesting to me, uh, and I'd like to get your feedback on this, was women's rowing. And certainly it's not interesting to me because I'm a rower. I can't even swim. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I'm why not, you row. That's why, no. I mean, <laughs> I Stay barely, in the boat. Stay dry. I, I barely drink water. I'm so scared of it. Okay. <laughs> um, but was, what was interesting to me is the, the coach for rowing, she said in this article here, I'm just simply reading what the article said here, that she uh, addressed the board by teleconference on Wednesday morning. She uh, noted, the, the women's rowing coach, that she had been informed by the athletic director of the school's plan on Tuesday afternoon. So you mentioned the phone call. She obviously got a phone call. But here is the 
the part that really, and this is where I want to center the next part of this conversation, Andrew, her, her quote is, I did not believe rowing would be a part of this proposal. Obviously, I was mistaken, uh, and very few saw this coming. Um, and, you know, honestly, when you look at Title IX, and they, they talked about her number, something like 60 rowers, 60 female rowers. So when you talk about offsetting football mm -hmm. and all that stuff, that's that seems noteworthy. Like, yeah, I bet you right. I, you know, I'm a gambling man. You guys maybe know my background as a professional poker player. I like to gamble. Uh, I probably would not have bet that women's rowing would have been cut. And yet it was. Right. I think there's a lesson there. Uh, they didn't think they were on the table. You guys thought you could be on the table. And so even if you were, you, don't, you know, you can't go back and find out where you ever or not, but you mobilized to do everything in your power to take that, to, to make that decision as difficult as possible, the decision to drop men's track. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, the whole process, the whole, the whole month, what led up to the start of that month, what led up to the situation that UConn's in now, um, you could pinpoint it to a variety of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, last year, and these, are, these numbers are public knowledge, that's how I know them, UConn had, um, I believe, it was a little over $80 million, a little under $81 million in expenses and their uh, revenues were just over 38. So they served a $42.3 million deficit in the athletic department during the 2018-2019 fiscal and academic year. Um, for those that don't know, ac fiscal and academic years, most schools run July 1 to June 30. So, um, you know, there were, there were some indications there that something was going to or had to be done. Uh, once the athletic, the, sorry, once the university came out, uh, and stated that yeah, they were going to ask the athletic department for a $10 million cutback. Um, that became on the athletic director and the, his senior administration, their shoulders to figure out how to do that. And in college athletics, uh, any way you slice it, $10 million is a lot of money. So there's, you know, whether that comes from one person writing a check or whether that comes from cutting sports or cutting budgets, it's going to come from somewhere. And that's what makes, going back to what you were saying about Ball State, that's what makes this so difficult is that no matter what, at the end of the day, people were going to be affected. Um, and just the personality and the person that I am, combined with the love that I have for UConn track and field, I was going to do everything that I could, along with anyone that was willing to jump on board and help to make the effort and try and save the program. Um, and our ability to do what we did I'll, I'll never understand it. Um, but when Coach Roy early on, and I don't think he was just willingly told this, I, I, I had some questions for him. And then he went and asked those questions to the athletic director. And when, the moment he was told, and this was early on the first day or two, when he was told and his response, I believe it was Monday, two days in, when he was told anything and everything is on the table, like I said before, that's all we needed to know. I didn't need to know the details of that. Uh, to me, that literally meant anything and everything. Um, so if you were a facet in any capacity of UConn athletics, there, you were up on the table. Uh, and that's what got us going. So, um, yeah, so that to me, that, that was what really just was the fuel that we needed. Um, 
when you found forward. out the results, and I know you were a thrower for UConn, you weren't a distance runner, right? I'm assuming no. you didn't dual roll, right? Yeah. No, just shot put discus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what were your emotions when you find found out what the actual results were? And so men's cross country, yeah. getting lost, but the rest is saved. Good, bad, indifference. Oh, I felt terrible. Um, you know, mm -hmm. to me, it's one one program, track and field and cross country. They inter intertwine and. Um, like you said, I am a thrower. I'm a throws coach. I'm a big man's background and mentality, but some of my best friends on the team and to this day are distance runners or distance coaches. Um, and I love distance events, I, which is kind of maybe weird. I don't know, but, uh, I guess I'm a weird guy, but I love cross country. I love the team aspect of cross country. Uh, I love distance running. Um, you know, every year I tune in to, to watch the NCAA cross country championships. And I'm all trying to figure out calculations and, you know, I'm just a fan of the sport. Um, and to know that at, at UConn at my school where I, I went and put in five years um, to know that that opportunity was no longer going to present itself. I, I beat myself up more about that than I did mm -hmm. celebrate the victory of having track and field still, um, you know, over the last 24 hours, you know, I, I've started to, I guess I've started to accept what, what the, uh, and re I absolutely respect the decision because uh, I know it's not easy um, and I have zero hard feelings whatsoever, but I've started to kind of just, you know, calm myself down and um, you know, okay, why was cross country cut? Okay. What are those answers? Okay. Now we're going to take those answers. How can we find a solution? How, how can we, is it, was it a financial thing? Was it a roster participation numbers? Um, answers that I think I know, but I'll reserve until I know for sure. Um, but we'll take those answers and, and we'll find a solution. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, I feel confident and I know the staff feels confident that at someday uh, in the future, there's an opportunity to reinstate cross country um, and make the program whole again. Now, I don't know Absolutely. if that's tomorrow or in five years, um, but uh, our goal, our number one goal now is to find out why and figure out a solution um, okay and uh we you know we want and i we've said this from day one um in some emails and and with what we've done in a presentation uh, for the administration that we want to work with the yukon athletic department and the yukon administration to do what we whatever we can um to help them sustain the sports of cross country and track and field whether that's financially whether that's with a mentorship program or their support, uh, whatever that means. Uh, we are there as an alumni base to support that. And we want to work with them to make sure that this A doesn't happen again and B that we can all be on the same page. Yeah, no resting on our laurels, right? I mean, you know, next year, yeah. more decisions are going to have to be made. And right. uh, let's make sure, again, we do everything we can in our power to influence it in a positive direction for a sport. If we're not going to fight for a sport, for crying out loud, who the, who the F is, right? I mean, yeah. uh, we had a great conversation with uh, Clayton Murphy from Akron a right. couple of episodes ago. Um, and, you know, not being a cross-country guy, uh, it was really interesting to learn, you know, the real integration of cross-country with your track program. So even, yes. if, you, even if you're not a, a, a distance guy, you're a thrower, a sprinter, jumper, whatever, it's a part of your team, like you said, and you, it's kind of vital if you're going to win a conference championship. Oh yeah. I mean, when I, when I was on the team, one of my fondest memories was, um, 
we had a four by eight that we ran at a meet up at Boston University. Um, and those guys ran, they you know, all cross country team members uh, that were 800 meters mid distance specialists ran 720.09 indoors in the four by eight. Jeez. And the guy that was anchored to this day, everybody gives them a hard time jokingly about, oh man, 0.09 and you would have broken 720. Uh, and I believe at the time it was the fastest time run in the world since 1993. And I believe that still stands. Uh, so it's the fastest time in the world since 93. And as a thrower at the time, that's still one of my favorite memories of being yeah. on the team. Uh, just you're watching those guys. Yeah. You're not supposed but, to remember this. Hold on. Right. But those are the things going back to what you were saying, Clayton was saying and, um, but those are just the things that track and field and cross country is about the, you know, the integration of both yeah. sports into one. And, um, you know, it, it was, it really is a family. Yeah. It's, you know, a, a, probably a bad analogy would be on a football team. You would never say, well, we're going to cancel out the receivers or we're going to cancel out the offensive. Like it is all you need special yeah. teams, defense, linebackers, quarterback, you need, it's a team. And so we need 10 K runners, steeplechasers which is still my favorite distance event i, I love the oh yeah pace. uh we need hammer throwers it, it, it is what the sport is right now looking to your crystal ball uh if you guys would not have mobilized you mentioned may 30th was kind of a date you it's like hey man we moose we got to do something here uh if you guys would have been <laughs> i'm gonna say lackadaisical you just would have been like yeah you know what how are we going to, we have no power here and you just right. would have let it run its course. Do you believe the outcome would have been different yesterday? Uh, I personally, I do. Uh, I've not been told that definitively one way or the other. Um, but looking at what we raised in the period of time that we raised it and what we're projecting we can do over the next three or four years um, and where UConn is at financially, I believe that it was a tremendous impact on, on the outcome of yesterday. Um, I try not to think about what would have happened if, uh, we had done nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, this could have been a conversation that a never happened, or we're talking about cutting the whole program. So, um, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's unfortunate that UConn or all these other programs that have had sports cut, whether it was track and field or any other sport, uh, throughout the country, uh, we're, we're in some difficult times here as a nation. Uh, and the NCAA uh, and college athletics are no exception to that. And um, whether these things were COVID related uh, or maybe they had already been building for some time, um, at the end of the day, we're in these situations and we have to find ways creatively, uh, creatively to, to come out better on top. And we jumped right on, started driving and just went. And um, I don't regret anything that we did. I, I think that we went about it the right way. Uh, we stayed positive. We kept it quiet. We kept it amongst just ourselves and our alumni base. And, um, you know, we went, we, we didn't go down without a fight in cross country and we fought to save track and field. And, uh, you know, we're still not going to go down without a fight. And I think, um, you know, I'll say that in a positive way. And I think that with cross country, there's hope for the future. And, um, you know, we're going to do everything that we can as alumni to support or aid the, the coaching staff uh, and work with administration to, to try to get to the point where cross country is whole again and um, we're able to move forward.
You mentioned the kind of the state of college athletics. Uh, and obviously we know a lot about the track program, Central Michigan, men's, Akron, mm -hmm. men's cross country, Brown University, which I still want to give so much props to those guys for realizing oh, their absolutely. mistake and, and having the guts, the maturity to realize their mistake and change their answer. Thank you, Brown University leadership for doing that. Uh, but we also have other sports, right? There's been a couple of baseball programs. Um, I think just today, uh, Western Illinois announced that they were cutting swimming and diving uh, over there, if I remember that uh, tweet correctly. Um, knowing that you're not a professional in this area of, of college athletics uh, monetarily, but you are, are, have a long career uh, so far in to come in college athletics. So, you know, why is this happening? I know the easy answer is to say coronavirus. Is, was coronavirus just gas on a fire that was already there? Or was it the fire starter? You know, I said to someone earlier today that every school is different. Every school has a unique situation. Um, every athletic department is different and they're unique uh, in their own right. Um, I don't think any two are, are identical. Um, and I think that's a, a great thing. And mm -hmm. um, so was it the, the adding fuel to the fire? Was it the spark that lit the fire? It's probably the answer is probably all the above. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a blanket answer for that. Um, but the reality is, is that we're here and, um, you know, it, it, it would be, it would be hard for me to just sit back and do nothing for something that meant so much to me and so much to many people. Um, and what, it, what UConn track and field has done for my life and my career uh, the family and the friends that I have because of that, um, the career that I have because of that program. Um, so if there was something to be done, um, I was going to, along with hundreds of alumni, uh, we were going to find out what that was and we were going to get it done. You know, having known you for a while now, Andrew, I, I, and hearing what you just said there and kind of express what has always been kind of unique, my feeling towards you is, you know what, you are a fighter. You have always yeah. fought for the program you were at. You've always fought for the athletes that you've had. And now to see kind of this other side of, of you and you know what, this is my alma mater. This is my sport. Um, if, if I fail, I fail, but it ain't because ain't going to be because I ain't in the fight, baby. Bubby, baby right. Buddy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be fighting. So I just respect you so, so much for that. Uh, so let's talk about, we want to kind of help others, right? So for right now, UConn men's track and field is, is in a positive, again, I hate to say with an asterisk, I don't want to minimize that we did lose. We are losing men's cross country. Um, but so there are other schools out there right now that, you know, there's 1,500 other <laughs> programs, NAIA, junior college, D3, D2, D1. Uh, what can we glean from you and your experience and your, and I call it your team, you know, your 200 plus um, uh, donors, your real core 50 immediate jump on and active warriors. What can we learn from you guys and your experience for someone right now that maybe doesn't even think their program is on the table at all? I, I, I wrote down this quote, anything is on the table. That's a, that's a scary quote. Mm -hmm. when you unpack the whole thing. So what can we learn from you as maybe a blueprint? What can people, coaches, and their programs start doing right now, today, June 25th, to maybe strengthen their position within their university as a sport? Uh, well, like I just said in the previous remarks that, you know, um, this, 
the, everything is different. Every school is different. But one thing I will say in a commonality is that, you know, we're, we're a community, uh, whether it's track and field and cross country, whether it's another sport, um, the alumni are a community uh, for that sport. Mm-hmm. And it's no different here at UConn. And um, track and field has an advantage uh, in cross country. We have an advantage of numbers. Uh, they're large rosters. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a roster combined men and women of 70, or I know programs up around 130 or 140, you have large numbers. Uh, and every four years, those people become alumni. And, um, you know, we've estimated that we have about 1,500 alumni amongst the UConn men and women's cross country and track and field um, graduates or people that have been in the program. So I would just recommend using those strength of number, using strength in numbers. Um, you know, it's, it, it, there's absolutely no way this would have happened if it was just one person. Uh, no, no chance. Uh, I did not raise $1.6 million. We raised $1.6 million. Uh, we brought in 240 uh, donors. We went to the administration with our stories. We helped out the coaching staff. Um, and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take several people helping in all different facets. Um, so if you don't, as a, as a program, if you don't already have an alumni organization amongst your sports, specific sport alum, I'd recommend maybe starting one. If you do, I'd recommend just keeping it up and running and, and sustaining it um, so that, A, you can maybe help prevent something that might even come up. Or if it's a situation kind of like ours where we were proactive to a reactive fear, um, then uh, then, then that's what you got to do. But strength in numbers is number one. Use your community, use your coaching staff to do that. Um, Let, let's unpack that a little bit. So, yeah, because that was the first thing that came to mind for you. So, I, I tend to think that you know, when presented with a question like that, if the first thing is going to be the most important thing, it's the tip of your tongue, right? So, your suggestion is uh, utilize the alumni base that you have right now today, mm-hmm. uh, and continue to add on to it as you gain alumni. So what do we do? Let's say, let's say I'm starting from scratch and I'm at a school that's, you know, I know there's an alumni union or alumni department, but maybe we don't know. We've never collected all the track and field and cross country athletes together. Uh, What am I trying to do with them? Am I just trying to spout my program? Am I trying to raise money? What am I trying to do? Uh, you, you had just said it. Um, we've done a little bit of all the above. We, we started from scratch. We started with nothing. Uh, Coach Roy had a list of alumni in a database, um, but we, we didn't have that. We, we as an alumni, we, didn't, uh, we would get you know, updates from him periodically from the program or whatever the case may be, but we didn't have an official, hey, let's get together and do these mm-hmm. sort of events. Um, so we started all of that. That came from nothing. Um, and, um, you know, so we're now going to take the next couple of weeks that we've gotten this decision and we're going to form an official organization uh, for our UConn track and field and cross country alumni. Details of that, um, we don't have all worked out yet, but we will in the coming weeks. And, and um, you know, I've seen other schools have those. Uh, we're actually doing that here at Virginia Tech as well. We do have an organization. Um, but I know we're now being a little more proactive, not because of this, but we had already been doing it, just starting to, you know, build a network and, and, and go from there. Um, you know, it was funny because prior to all this happening, 
early on uh, when, you know, the indoor championships were canceled and the outdoor season was canceled. Another one of our alumni, Pete Kumalis, is the throws coach at Villanova. He had called me and just said, hey, you know, let's, let's get together on a call with just the coaches that are alumni from UConn and just start, you know, spitballing some ideas about an organization. So he had actually had that wow. idea. Uh, and we had started it. We had, you know, we had some we had several calls and, and things like that. And, um, and the last thing we were going to do was fundraising. Uh, we, we thought the number one thing we want to do was a build a networking connection mm-hmm. amongst the alumni um, and also help with career networking for the current student athletes. Right. Yeah. Uh, hey, um, you know, Mike Cunningham, I work at Gill and somebody else might want. So let me connect them. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Andrew Dubs is a coach. Let me connect them. I want to be a coach. So that, those were our first kind of thoughts. Um, and then everything, you know, kind of flipped on its head and we just went from zero when we were going to take our time, we were, I thought, okay, the first championship at UConn was 1997 coach Roy wanted to do a 25 year reunion 2022. So we we're like, perfect. We'll take our time. We'll get this thing up nonprofit <laughs> organization, get a structure. And we got a year and a half. This is awesome. Well, Little did we know 10 days. what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we took, we took a two-year plan and, and converted it to 10 days. Uh, I don't recommend doing that, but sometimes <laughs> you just have to read and respond, I guess. And um, that's what we did. So um, now we're going to, now that we got the decision we got yesterday, we'll take a deep breath. Uh, I'm going to visit my family Sunday, sit at the beach for a little bit, and, um, and then we'll come back and, and uh, you know, try to just organize and set ourselves up with a structure and, and go from there. And I think that that's really important. Um, now, now that I've learned a lot that I've learned in the last month um, to do that. And I, there's some other teams out there that already have that. And I've kind of gone on their websites and, you know, stolen some ideas and, and learned and um, you know, we're going to try to implement some of those things and, and then do a lot of our own. So um, organization structure and, and community are the biggest things that anybody could do. And then if I can add, you know, yeah. the one thing, you know, stay positive. Uh, during, during situations like this, it's really easy to blame it on an individual or blame it on, on an administration or, or blame it on a specific program. Um, that's the, that is not what we wanted to do. We, we knew that, hey, that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, we're trying to come up with solutions. And um, at the end of the day, we're all UConn Huskies. We're all student athletes that graduated from UConn. We all love UConn. Um, so we're in this together, you know, you go through your college experience at any school in any sport and some of your best friends, people that you hang out with, you eat with, you live with, they're either your teammates or they're other athletes. Um, and it becomes a community. So at the end of the day, we were all in this together, any sport that was up for consideration. Um, and that's what we wanted to do is stick together, keep it positive, try to come up with solutions. Um, and move forward rather than just sit there and dwell on what could be or could have been. I'm going to steal a line from, I think a mutual friend of ours, Gabe Sanders. Oh yeah. Uh, I just coach, saw Gabe recently. Head coach at Boston university. He told the story and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's okay with me telling the story. Otherwise I'm ruining this friendship and it won't be mutual anymore. It'll only be your friend. Uh, but he talked about that same thing about, you know, we're all pulling on the same rope. We're all UConn. And I can't remember what school he was at, but basically he had an administrator, say to him or maybe he heard it from another coach but he was like your paycheck it says UConn on it guess what my paycheck says UConn like we yes. all we're all on the same exactly. <laughs> team here exactly yeah. right yeah and I think it was it was interesting to kind of see like 
when this, when we first started, okay, there was maybe a dozen of us that are in college athletics, whether it's in some capacity, coaching administration, you know, we, we kind of understood because we, you know, this is what we do on a daily basis. All right. Wh what can we do? Whereas, you know, you'd see some of your other alumni initially, the reaction is some frustration. And so it was, it was funny. There were some zoom calls where, um, every day that we did a zoom call, some new alums would, as they started hearing, they jump on the call and, you know, they would usually last an hour, hour and a half or something like that. And by the end, it would just turn into conversation like, Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And, uh, some people would just be like, Oh, I can't believe this is going to happen. Why could, how could they do this? So I would just let them vent for a little bit, kind of get it out there, get it off their chest. And, um, then I, I would just kind of jump in and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's where we're at. Here's what we're trying to do. Um, I totally understand everybody's frustrations, but at the end of the day, you know, let's rally together and strengthen numbers is the key to our success. Um, so, you know, as people started understanding that it was really impressive to just see how people just jumped on board and were like, what can I do to help? I can't wait to get you, Andrew Dubs, back on the podcast one day, because what I'm learning here is Andrew, Mr. Positive Dubs here. Uh, but not only that, the emotional intelligence that you just shared with us there that, you know, everybody processes things a little differently, right? Uh, some may come from a negative front, some may come from a sad front, some may come from a positive uh, action front. They're not, none of them are wrong or right in their own, right? Uh, and the story just, what a, what a great story example of allowing people to work through their emotions that you, you let them vent is what you said, you know, that's so good. You could have, you know, there's sometimes positive people that are positive in a, in a positive way. And then there's positive people in a, in a negative way. You could have right. shut them down and said they were wrong. And Hey, listen to me, we're going to do this. Rah, rah, rah. Uh, and that would have completely tuned them out. They would have been like, look, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, going back to going back to our administrator, Chris Holmes, that's why he was so great because I was like, well, man, people seem to be listening to me. I better make sure I'm giving them some right, some of the correct advice. So when I, I talked to him, we talked for an over an hour that one day. And I was like, I just want to make sure I'm not saying or doing something wrong here and giving out this advice. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I learned from everywhere and anyone I've ever been around. Um, even if maybe not in that moment, I might have understood or agreed or seen what they were seeing. But I, I've, over the years, I, I've definitely learned from my own mistakes. And an opportunity to just sit back and see things from a different perspective is something that I've learned to adapt to and something that I've kind of, be, it's become a trait of mine. Um, and you know, whether that's right or wrong, everybody's different, but I've definitely felt that I've had um, more success in recent years um, on all sorts of levels because I've, I've done that. And um, you know, you always learn every day in any way uh, in any capacity. And, um, the day that people stop doing that is the day you should probably, you know, just hit retirement and, and go sit on a beach somewhere and enjoy life. But, you know, the more you can learn, the more you can take in and the more you can adapt, uh, the more successful you'll be, I believe in any career on uh, any path. So. As we start to wrap up here, Andrew, I did want to ask, you know, you guys <laughs> took that year and a half plan down to 10 days and yeah, if you would have done that over a year and a half, I'd have been unbelievably impressed. <laughs> so to do that over Me too. Days, you know, holy cow. <laughs> Me too. Uh, what is the, you know, it's easy to say fundraise, you know, get pledges and things like that. What is the goal of fundraising? And what I mean by that is, 
you know, the stupid answer could be, well, yeah, to spend the money, duh, you know, but um, right. is it to endow scholarships? Is it to, um, I don't know, what, what, what is the Good one question? question? I, what does it do? I mean, if we would have had this conversation five weeks ago, I wouldn't have known any, I wouldn't have had any answers for you. Uh, this, I'm still figuring things out, um, talking with Coach Roy, but our long-term goal um, over the next five years um, is to try to raise enough money to endow all the scholarships uh, for both the men and the women. Uh, if we're able to do that, that A, takes a large burden off the administration, um, and B, it, it, it puts a lot of sustainability in place uh, for the future. Um, because at the end of the day, me, other alums, we've already been through the program. We've experienced it. We've, we, so there's nothing else for us here. Um, but we're doing this for current and future student athletes at the University of Connecticut uh, that want to get involved and be on the track and field and cross country programs. And the best way to do that is to make sure that there's maximum athletic financial aid available. And um, if we're able to do that from endowing scholarships, that's going to be our number one goal moving forward. How, how much during this process did you learn about endowing scholarships? I, I had always understood what endowment meant and what it, how it operated. Can, can you um, walk us through that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure I know what endowing scholarships, what it takes, how sure. much, how it works. Um, so, so basically, so men's track and field has 12.6 scholarships uh, in track and field and cross country combined. Women have 18. Those are NCAA maximum allotments no matter where you're at. Um, so to endow those, you, base, you have to in put X number of dollars into a fund and the endowment spits out or it spits off the interest and that is the endowment. So you use the interest. So the foundation of that money is always there and it's always spitting off interest. So you use that interest to pay the scholarships. So um, it's not as, let's use, remember I'm high school and college educated in Alabama. So we're going to use easy numbers here. I was not fortunate enough or good enough to get into a school like UConn. So we're going to, we're going to take things easy here. Andrew. Right. So if a, if a full ride at a school is 50 grand, let's just say that's what it is, right? Uh -huh. You can't just raise 50 grand and say that scholarship's endowed because that interest right. would be, I don't know, in today's world, that's probably $100 a year, <laughs> a year mm -hmm. of interest. So you have to actually raise a multiple of each scholarship to be in, to endow a scholarship on a yearly basis. Yes. So I might cheated. I pulled out my calculator here. So, um, <laughs> good job. So I, be, I believe for UConn, for example, I believe they are switching to a, I don't know the details, but basically mm -hmm. they're, they're changing what it costs to go to school. So let's just say it's $40,000. Uh, and that's what 1.0 scholarship counts for 40,000. Mm -hmm. So if you multiply that by 12.6, um, for men or 18 for women, for men, you're, you're at about $504,000. So you thanks, have to have- Thanks a, for telling me you use the calculator or you would have just blown my mind. I've been like, holy, how did he do this? Yeah. Okay, sorry, go, go, go. I've also been over these numbers quite a bit in the last month. <laughs> sure, but, sure, sure. But uh, yeah, so, so it, it, depending on how much it costs to go to whatever school somebody's at, um, mm -hmm. you're looking at half a million to a, higher schools, maybe right. 800, 900,000, just for the yeah. scholarship costs. Right. So UConn's a, about 500,000. So you have to have enough money in an account to spit off interest equating to $500,000 annually. How much is um, that? 
it's around 12 million if, if i'm accurate wow, on that i'm um, i'm surprised i thought it would have been way way more to be real fair. i mean let's not poo poo what 12 million dollars is here but yeah it's uh, a little over 12 million um oh, okay. so generally endowments will spit out the, the accounts that they go in the funds that they go in will spit out anywhere from four to five percent uh traditionally uh mm -hmm. so um you know you, you need to be able to have enough money in an account 12 to 12 and a half million to shoot out that four mm -hmm. to five percent which will get you mm -hmm. 500 plus thousand dollars so depending on your school um, and the interest in that exact account mm -hmm. it would be a larger number do they ever so yukon the school has an endowment of some right. ungodly told millions maybe a billion i know some of the ivies have you know money i can't even i can't even think uh, how much money that is right having worked at harvard it's unbelievable do you, oh that's right <laughs> do they ever is there ever a situation where you go to the school and say okay we need 12 million to endow all the men's scholarships we're going to fundraise six can you match that and then we'll be floating off the interest yeah the, i mean those those are op, uh options those are possibilities there's there's a million different ways you okay. can slice it um mm -hmm. whether it's an alum wants to endow a scholarship and maybe on behalf of their family name behalf right. of their event uh, whatever it may be, there's a lot of ways you can do it. And um, I say 12.6, I, I, but that's just a set number. Mm -hmm. I do believe UConn already has a couple that are endowed uh, for mm. track. It, may, it might okay. be one or two. Um, okay. So I don't know if we'd have to come up with all exactly 12.6, but right. um, whatever it may be, 12.6 uh, is the, the max number. Um, and we still have to get some clarity on exactly mm -hmm. what is in the endowment for scholarships for men's and women's track and field and cross country. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll get those in the coming months and, and um, figure out what number we need and, and we'll go from there. But I, I would say if you'd asked me three weeks ago, I would have said, oh, man, there's no way. But what I've learned in the last month, I think that it'll absolutely be, be a task and, and something that we need to really work toward doing, um, especially once we get back to, you know, more normal, quote unquote, business hours um, as people return to jobs once COVID starts to lighten up. So it has to be, we have to set up an organization. We have to set up a, a system that will allow us to operate on a voluntary um, limited basis because people are going to have families and work and things like that. So, um, but I, I believe that over, over a period of time, over the next several years that, that we have a very strong possibility to be able to, to raise that money and endow those scholarships. Man, that's awesome. That would be such a blessing. And you talk about strength in a program if they ever go to think about dropping the program, it's like, well, wait a minute, really guys, all of our scholarships are endowed. What <laughs> now it's just operational cost. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and some schools, you know, some schools have them endowed. I, awesome. I know there's several programs, uh, a lot of the Ivies and I think Stanford and some others like that, that, that have their uh, coaching positions endowed as well. So right. yeah, uh, right. th there's a lot of creative ways and, and that in directions that you can go. And um, I think it's just exciting that, you know, our creativeness are, is our ceiling because mm. we have so many alumni uh, in the sport of track and field and cross country and so many that at UConn are willing to step up. I mean, we have over 1,500 alumni and we've only engaged maybe three or 400 in the last mm. month. So there's about 1,000 or so alumni that we haven't even reached uh, just because we didn't have the time to do it. Um, so there's a lot of potential growth there uh, moving forward. Well, I think it starts exactly what you said. Number one is getting, mobilizing the alumni, finding out 
who who are alums of your program, getting them mobilized, getting them excited about your program. Because uh, if you don't have that, I'm not sure what what else you have. You know, it's college. I mean, this is alma mater, rah rah rah. You, you know, I mean, so um, just so thankful for alums like you and. Uh, and I know there are 200 other, they're nameless right now, but let me tell you what, you know, as a company that prides itself on track and field and actually was started by a track coach, you know, we, <laughs> Harry Gill was the, a track coach here That's at right. the University yeah. of Illinois, man. The power of a coach is just what we want to continue to breathe life into. And so I'm just so thankful uh, and just so awesome to see the growth of you personally, Andrew, through this. I mean, you, uh, I think it's fair to say you, you yourself have come out stronger as a track coach, as a college administrator, the things that you will have to do uh, as you run budgets and things like that and decide on scholarships. You have become better as a coach yourself. So it's just so cool to see that, that growth on you personally. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Mike. That means a lot. I've known you for a little while now. And, um, you know, it, it definitely has been a learning experience for me um, and many others. And, um, you know, without the backing of our alumni, without the relationships that you have with alumni, with the coaching staff, um, there's just no way that this gets done. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, been quite the month. You know, it's been, uh, been overwhelming and it's been emotional and there's been highs and lows. Um, but, uh, you know, just to be able to reconnect with people that you might not have seen since graduation and the first conversation with you have, have with them is almost as if graduation was yesterday. You know, it's like time hasn't passed. And um, so that's, that's what's been the overwhelming and emotional part is reconnecting in those relationships and doing it for people that you know care so much about the program that you care about um, and, and have such strong feelings toward trying to save it uh, moving forward for future and current uh, student athletes. Well, that's what's special about college athletics. And so it's cool to see that special moments for you guys. And uh, it's a real testament to the obviously overall culture and education that UConn gives its it's the students and student athletes because you're a shining example of that and you're able to now take that leadership and culture to the uh, different places you're at and doing a great job at Virginia Tech, man. So I, I'm so thankful to get you on here so quick. Uh, uh, you know, honestly, if we can, it's that proverbial, if we can save one program, right? <laughs> uh, but if we can, yeah. if we can save one program, God bless it. We have done so much for this sport by sharing. your Absolutely. Experience. Yeah. This sport means so much to so many people. Uh, you know, it's the most popular sport, the high school level, most participated in. Yep. I believe it's the same at the collegiate level. And, yep. uh, you know, to see that shape the lives of young men and women uh, so that they can become future, you know, CEOs and administrators themselves and coaches and lawyers and doctors. Um, that's what it's all about at the end is yep. taking such a diverse group of individuals, putting them together in one pot and just seeing the things that, that are, are made from that is is remarkable. Well, I definitely can speak for everybody here at Gill Athletics. Uh, I tend to like to speak for the sport of track and field as well, <laughs> just because of the things that we do and the involvements we have. And I can say kudos for all of, from all of track and field to you, the alumni of UConn. I know there were many more non-alumni uh, that were uh, concerned as well and were helping doing everything they can. Uh, and kudos to the administration at UConn for making the right decisions, at least on the indoor and outdoor track and field component. I love that the door is not shut 
forever on men's cross country. Yes. Uh, and that now that, that kind of gives you a goal to continue to hit. And I think you guys are going to do, uh, you're, you're off the starting line with a bang, man. So uh, just so proud of you guys and can't say thank you enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Thank Dubs. you, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.